You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode. And this week, surprise announcement by Apple, the HomePod, the glorious HomePod, is getting the boot. It is no more. There we go. It's ceased to be. It has ceased to be. It's an ex-HomePod. <laughs> it has reached up and joined the choir eternal. It's paying for the fjords. Anyway, there we go. As you can hear, people... Guy is here. Hello, Guy. Hello, Simon. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. I'm very good indeed. I've just uh, started my second week at my new job, which is rather, you know, a big relief. Absolutely and, no stress there at all. Well, no, that's actually going rather well. Um, I'm quite lucky, as I explained to some of the guys last week. Um, I'm actually working with a guy I've worked with before, which takes a lot of the edge off, I'm pleased to say. So that's very nice. And uh, uh, Nick is always here. Hello, Nick. Oh, yeah, always here. Well, not quite. Even, not quite even, when he's not, even when he's not recording a show, there's Nick. <laughs> yeah. He's here in spirit, even if he's not here. There, yeah, That's true. So, there Indeed you go. Indeed I am. Um, and that is the big news, is, of course, the HomePod has got the boot. Um, bit of a surprise. What, you know, were you surprised by that, Guy? Not really. Um, it was, I don't think it was ever really a big seller. So, when they when they came out, you know, the, the HomePod Mini kind of served to two purposes number one uh much lower price point i mean heck it was like two and a half times less expensive than the full-size home pod uh, it also sounded pretty good and uh at the same time uh was probably much cheaper to to make and distribute so all of those things combined with the, you know the fact that it i don't think it really sold that well to begin with you know apple probably was like well why keep selling it you know we have this other thing that people seem to like better yeah yeah i i, I must admit that the home pod i i got the point and it was full of lovely tech and everything but it was very pricey i mean yeah i mean right from the start sonos you know, went up against it saying, we'll sell you a pair of Sonos speakers for the price of one. For that much. Board. Yeah. Um, Which is what I took advantage of. Yeah. So I've got two Sonos speakers. Well, why not? Why not? You yeah. know, um, the other thing is, I think you're right, guy. Not only is the HomePod mini, you know, much more affordable. Um, you know, you can buy a pair of them for the less than the price of one HomePod. Um, yeah. The, the other thing is, from what I've read, because I don't have one, but you've got one. I understand it actually yeah. is a better as a kind of, you know, hub, the whole home kit. Well, I, I actually don't have a lot of like other home kit devices. I haven't really bought into the smart home concept yet, mostly because this house is like as dumb as a box of rocks. So uh, the, the HomePod mini is, is really about the only smart device, not counting computers and watches and phones and all the rest of that. So it's, it's mostly at this point, I, I'll, I'll walk into the room and it'd be like, you know, Hey, ass lady, what's the temperature outside? You know, uh, give me a timer for the loaf of bread I have in the oven or, you know, turn on Battlestar Galactica on, you know, through the Apple TV or something like that. Um, it's integration 
with iOS and its integration with like the Apple TV, I think could be better. It's it's not necessarily always that easy to set up. There's, you know, there, there doesn't seem to be like an actual automatic connection between an Apple TV and the HomePod mini. You've got to use some other intermediary, intermediate device to, to get them connected. And it's like, why not just, you've got an Apple TV here, just have the Apple TV say, well, let me look around and see what my sound sources are, and then just pick the HomePod mini. But it's never worked that way for me. No, strange, isn't it? It, it seems to me that uh, it seems to me that Apple, Apple generally make really good stuff that everyone wants, and yeah. they sell billions of the things, or, or they make stuff that is really good, but it's a bit pricey, and eventually they just let it go because they're just not selling. It's just, it's hardly worth them selling it. Yeah, uh, I mean, and, and and there have been a number of things during, throughout their recent history that that they've tried and. They've been very popular at the time that they were released, and then they've gone quiet, and and then Apple have let them go. Just faded away. See, see, I find that quite strange, Guy, what you're saying about the HomePod Mini, because one of the um, things with the, the Apple TV, when I bought a, well, I say new, but it was the, it's the version 4, not 4K, because I don't have a 4K TV. But Yeah, the first one that had apps. The first one that came yeah. with apps. That's the one I've got. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And when and when I plugged it in, it said, um, "Bring bring your bring your iPhone phone." Yeah. And and we'll do all the setup from that. So you just like turn it. It goes unlock your phone. So I turned it on, unlocked my phone, and it goes, "Do you want to use these settings?" Yes, I do. And it was done. It connected to all the. You think that it would that the HomePod would do the same, or the Apple TV would do the same with a HomePod? It's very yeah. Different. And the and here's the thing. You know, they're both on your Wi-Fi network. Or they're both in, in, well, not so much the HomePod mini. Uh, I actually have a, a wired connection to my downstairs Apple TV, which is where the HomePod is. And But the HomePod is on the same network as the router that is connected to the Apple TV. So it's like, well, come on, talk to each other, guys. If I sit there and say into the HomePod mini, connect up with the family room Apple TV, just do it. Yeah. You know, I mean... It, it, it's not like it, it's named family room, Apple TV. It's not like it says, well, I don't know. I, I have to go and find that. Where, where, where is it? Can you bring me closer? It's like, there's no close. There's no problem here. It's it. You're like less than two feet apart. Just connect up. Damn it. <laughs> but no, I've got to go through all this crap. And then half the time, because I'm doing it on my phone, my phone will connect to the home pod mini and all of a sudden, Led Zeppelin will start blasting out. It's like, no, I want it to go to my TV set. <laughs> yeah. And oh. you can tell I'm not I'm not frustrated by this at all. <laughs> no, not, not in the all. slightest. Not in the slightest. So there you go. Yeah. So did did you did you buy a did you buy a HomePod guy? Who me? Yeah, no. you didn't buy the original one, did you? No. 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 I mean, I looked at it, it and thought, yeah, it's lovely, but uh, too rich for my blood, I'm afraid. Yeah. I've I've got a um a, a Sony audio receiver that I have also connected up through the TV set. So that's what I had been using for audio through for the Apple TV. And it sounds great. I got these these Bose speakers that I've had since like 1985. And, you know, they still sound really good, so why not? And that's how I was doing it before. But here's, here's the weird thing. That one HomePod mini, while it certainly can't, you know, blast away like the Bose can, sounds fantastic. 
as compared to going through the Bose speakers, which granted are 30 plus years old, uh, through a Sony receiver. But this one, this one little home pod, when I can get it to work, sounds great. And I don't know if, if they can figure out the connectivity issue or if maybe it's maybe it's when i can figure out the connectivity issue <laughs> absolutely it could be my fault um i might buy another one and just set them up yeah yeah i, I, I you know i think quite they, a lot they relied the very they relied very strongly didn't they when they first came out on the fact that how it sounded and uh, and they pushed very hard Everyone said, oh, wow, it sounds really brilliant. And, um, but, but sound is, I mean, I've probably said this a million times on this program, but sound is so subjective. And, yeah, it is. It is. Uh, and, and what someone likes, I mean, the thing that I find incredibly frustrating is if I go into a shop and want to listen to anything to see what it sounds like, what they'll do is that they'll find a piece of music that sounds like it's been recorded by the chipmunks. Yeah. And they'll play that through it. So you can't really tell. And, and I'm a, someone who listens to a lot of classical music. Uh, and so it really doesn't help me at all. <laughs> Are you saying the chipmunks have never recorded classical music? Well, <laughs> who knows? Yeah. <laughs> they may have done. Um, but uh, it's not really a very good indication of how good the sound quality no. is. <laughs> and no. having been a having been an orchestral musician, you know, I know what an orchestra should sound like because I've sat in one. <laughs> I was the world's worst trumpet player, so I'm not a good oh, really? that. <laughs> I can do I can do paper and comb. <laughs> could, yeah, put me on a kazoo and I sound like I sound brilliant. <laughs> oh dear. So there we go. Um So farewell. Farewell to um good old but, original home pod. Yeah, you know. No doubt they'll become very valuable over time. Um well, worthless or super or super yeah, that, one of the two. Yeah, there's, there's yeah, there's there's really no middle ground there. Um, I I think <laughs> yeah. back to when and how much Steve Jobs was pushing uh, the iPod Hi-Fi. If you remember that thing, yeah, it was like, well, we have cracked the code for sound, and we've got this brilliant iPod Hi-Fi. You just connect your iPod to it, and it it sounds better than you know high end stereo system. Blah 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 blah. And that lasted about six months. They quietly pulled it, and it went away and i can't recall any bidding wars ever no. on ipod hi-fis no. no, that's ever. true that's true well i think i think that suffered from exactly the same problem though didn't it because it doesn't matter how good it was it was pretty pricey and i remember at the time that you could go to any supermarket and buy you know a, a, a speaker you know stand for your ipod yeah for you know anywhere between i don't know sort of 15 and I don't know, maybe seventy-five quid, you know, yeah. from a from a cheap tinny thing that just made it louder to something that was reasonable. But you know, why? Well, a, a lot why of this, would you a lot this depends on, on use case. You know, I mean, are you how much are you willing to spend to walk around your house or walk around at the beach? On, you know, because I mean, typically something like the I know we're totally off topic here. The iPod Hi-Fi. Why are we talking about the iPod Hi-Fi? Because I brought it up like an idiot. But <laughs> the um, you know, something like the iPod Hi-Fi would be some this be something you'd use outside and like in a party setting or something like that. And if you're in a party setting, no one is really listening to the music. They're having conversation. It's background noise. 
So whether it sounds like, wow, it's like U2 is right here in the room with me, or if it sounds like, you know, wow, U2 is playing the, all of their music through a kazoo, it doesn't really matter because <laughs> nobody's nobody's paying any real attention to it. That's what so, I thought. You know, you could get a you could get a thing for, oh, let's say, you know, thirty pounds. Because all you're yeah. trying to do is make the damn thing loud enough to not be drowned out by everybody, you know, drinking yeah. beer and eating burgers and shouting at each other. So Or maybe you want you two to sound like they're playing a kazoo. <laughs> there we go. There we are. All right. So let, let's move on a bit then. Let's move on. Um, we've got here first Apple event of the year rumored for March the twenty third by just about everybody now. Um I'm maybe I don't know. I'm not much yeah, of one. Jolly good. Rumors, Hope so. You know. That'd be good. Yeah, it would be it would <laughs> yeah. be nice. But you know, oh, and everybody said the 16th. Then it didn't happen. So now they've gone to the 23rd. You know, if it doesn't, what they're going to do after that? Well, maybe it's the 30th. I mean, <laughs> well, you know, they had from September to December they had events every single month. Exactly. And I think they just had, you know whoever it was that that creates these roughly hour long videos, these product demonstrations, and all the rest of it for Apple. Probably just needed a break after you know four straight months. Of, it's like God, yeah. I'm I'm gonna go someplace where there's no sound, there's no video. It's just white noise playing in the background, and then come see me in March. And I think that's what happened. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure everyone would tell you this, but um, who's who's done any uh, uh, video editing? But I I've just started doing this since lockdown. I you know I've been getting involved in doing church stuff and videoing stuff and editing it and oh my word editing takes a long time doesn't it <laughs> it's yeah. probably the worst bit really uh, I, I last week i probably did about three hours worth of recording and then i edited for about six hours <laughs> yeah. yeah and i hadn't got complicated edits to do <laughs> but you know what the weird thing is i actually find that audio editing takes much longer than video editing because the thing yeah. about video editing is you can you can kind of skip along the timeline yeah. and you know where certain things are whereas with audio editing it's like well is it here no is it here no yeah. is it you just you just got to sort of listen to the whole thing again haven't you really yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes yep yeah i can see that yeah definitely i mean yes there we are so um so uh, so yeah i noticed some of the rumors are for an ipad do they not do we normally get iPads this time of the year? Yeah, iPad Pro is quite often in the spring because it's out of step oh. with the other two. Oh, right, okay. I is... I actually don't think it, it. This is here's the thing: if they're going to introduce AirTags, there's not going to be much else that they're going to introduce because this is a brand new product category for Apple. So they're going to spend an extraordinary amount of time about AirTags and how you could put it on stuff and then find it later. You know, so. They'll have product demonstrations of of some dad getting into his car. He goes, "Oh, I can't find my keys," and then the kids calling them through what the whatever that service was that they had they showed the last time. So I can't find my keys, and then the kids will look it up with air tags, and he'll bring home a pizza. So <laughs> they're going to spend if if air tags are introduced in March, they're going to spend a lot of time talking about that. Uh, that being said, I don't think that they would do iPad Pros. Um, I they. I don't think that they'll do AirPods because they, they just brought out the AirPod Pros. And I don't know if people are really ready to spend more money on regular AirPods. And mm -hmm. I still question, honestly, 
whether they'll come out with another Apple TV. I, I just don't know if they will. I don't see them doing it. Yeah, they're concentrating so much on content at the moment. It seems uh, unnecessary. I mean, it's not like everyone's rushing out buying 8K televisions and therefore no. we've got to well, upgrade to 8K. It's it's not only that, but Apple is now releasing the Apple TV app on almost every streaming platform yeah. and television that's out there. So, you know, it's like, well, my TV can already get Apple TV content. Why would I go out and spend another 130 to 200 pounds on, on getting a brand new streaming box when I don't yeah. have to? Unless they were going to do something different with it which which i don't think there will be so yeah well the, there's only two things and maybe just one thing that a, a separate apple tv will do as compared to the app one is arcade mm. the other thing i don't know if the fitness app works through the apple tv app fitness plus no you got i think you've got to have an apple tv for that yeah or on your computer uh yeah. i think um i think it goes through your watch doesn't it uh, I, I, I was listening to um, Mac and Forth, and they were talking about this, and that you can't use just the Apple TV, but you can use it with your watch or something. I, I don't know. I haven't got it, and I'm, yeah, but I don't. <laughs> I don't really understand it. <laughs> no, but because it involves sure. exercise for a start, which you know, yeah, 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 yeah. can't be no, having that. No, 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 no way. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I told, I tell everybody, look, you know, when you were at school and your teacher told you not to run with scissors. Well, I only heard. The I just first carry part. scissors all the time. Oh no, I just I only heard the first part, and that's become a mantra for my life. Just just don't run ever. Just don't, don't run. run. Don't run. What's your hurry? Take your time. Everything's fine. <laughs> um, I don't I don't know. It, it it I'm torn because at the minute you have to have an Apple TV if you really want to make the most of of Fitness Plus, mm -hmm. and it does arcade. Other mm. than that, you know, I mean, you can go and buy a Roku box for about $30. One third the price. Yeah. Yeah. A fraction of or the price. Or less. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. A fifth of the price. I mean, and that gets pretty much all the services that you can get on your Apple TV. You can get you can get Apple TV Plus on there. You can get Disney. You can get all the stuff. Well, and here in the States, Hulu and... Yeah. You know, you, you, there's yeah. a whole load. I, I, I've bought a couple because they are a fraction of the price. And yeah. they do pretty much everything. And actually they have quite a nice remote. <laughs> um You know, when I bought my when I bought my M one Mac Mini, um, I thought, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get uh, I'm gonna get the arcade again for a little while. Oh, great, I'll go back and have a look and see, maybe I've been missing some stuff and no, no, still 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 nothing in there that I find particularly interesting. It's not um so uh I was never impressed the first time around, and I'm afraid I'm still not particularly impressed. I can, they, they, I can see Grindstone. Try Grindstone. That is a great Grindstone. game. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just not. I suppose, I suppose deep down, I'm not a great gamer, really. I mean, I have got a um, Nvidia Shield gaming thing, um, but I, I play games so rarely. That, I actually, um, I'm almost ashamed to admit this. I actually have a separate Intel Mac Mini that I keep on Mojave just so that I can play the Steam games that I've already bought. Yeah, well, because well, Steam is never, ever, ever going to update those to 64-bit. No. Right. So, yeah. Well, if there's particular games you like, I can understand that. I mean, I, I'm not saying I never get hooked on games. I used to get hooked on iPad games. This is the problem. Yeah. And um, and then I end up, even the ones with the, the adverts in, even though they drive me bonkers with adverts, um, I still keep playing them. The one I'm playing at the moment is a, is one of these matching games. Uh, 3D matching game where you get lots of jumbled things all dropped in a pile and then you have to 
drag out the you know pairing game where you're pairing yeah, up the things pair, together. Pairing things up, yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's just driving me bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Every time I sit down, I think maybe I'll just play another round. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not a huge gamer, and what game? I'm fairly fussy about the sort of games I do play. Most of the games I yeah. do play, I, I mean, we've got a PS4, so yeah, you know, I play on that. And I you see, got a, you got a dedicated dedicated gaming platform. Yeah, and I like it's made to play games. And I like to play games like Fallout 4, which are huge, and you can play yeah. for months, and there's world building and exploring and fighting and the whole thing. I don't... Yeah, there's this great new one called Space Invaders. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. <laughs> Space in Space Invaders. Uh, let me think. No, I've never heard of it. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and that's, uh, that's taking me back to college the, days. The squelching mm. sound when you get blasted. <laughs> yes. Oh dear. Um, right. So there you go. Um, yeah. The, the, the Apple TV. I think if they're going to do another Apple TV, they've got to do one of two things. They've either got to bring it down to the price of a Roku or you know a Chromecast or one of those, or they've got to do something with it to push it more into the gaming like maybe yeah you know bring out a more powerful one so yeah and so that it can handle you know console level games and maybe ship it with an actual controller a proper controller um that's crazy mm. talk but (laughs) you know um no with apple it would be you can buy this for 150 dollars and then you can buy a controller to go with it for another 150 dollars yeah um yeah it's in a strange place apple tv they could surprise us, but I, think I don't think they will. No, but at the minute, so we're not they... getting any more. We're not getting any more M ones then until later in the year, or, or <sighs> M whatevers. I would love to see. Uh, you know, there's been all kinds of rumors about new IMAX, though not really so much for this upcoming event. No, not for this event. But I've, you know, I I don't know if they're going to release any more computers that use the M one. Um, and I say that as an owner of myself of an M1 Mac mini and it's other than Bluetooth, it's great. I love this thing. Um, Bluetooth sucks balls, but <laughs> what are you going to do? You know, it's like, oh. Um, have you tried turning off the Wi-Fi? Yeah. Cause I, I do have a direct connection to it and it does work better that way. But when I turn off Wi-Fi, that means that I can't do other things. Like I can't wake the computer from my watch. Um, Uh, you know, there's, there's certain other services that for whatever reason, even though, you know, all of my various devices are connected up through the same network, you know, this, this is like the HomePod mini all over again. It's all connected up to the same network, but because it's not through Wi-Fi, they're like, no, I, I don't know that's over there. I don't know what that is. Uh, So (laughs) I heard you say, um, that's guy, I heard you say, um, uh, that that you try the turning off the Wi-Fi thing on on uh, the MyMac show, and um, uh, so I did that, and it worked for me. I've not mm-hmm. had any more Bluetooth problems since that. And I don't. The only thing I need Wi-Fi for is if I was using um, Dream Deck because that connects through. I can use my phone then as a Stream Deck, and and then you need to do it through Wi-Fi. Yeah. But apart from that, I don't 
I don't need it because I've got my I've got it plugged in directly to my router anyway. So well, it's uh, gotten it's gotten better. Um, yes, I, I use I use this is a it looks like a Logitech, but it's actually by this company called Jellycomb. It looks exactly like the M500, I think it is, the trackball that Logitech has. But all of my Logitech stuff, when Big Sur came out and the M1 came out, basically stopped working. And mm. there, and there, and Logitech's answer seems to be, well, go buy more Logitech stuff. And it's like, yeah, you know, I don't think <laughs> I'm going to do that. I'll just no. get something that actually, I don't know, works with existing standards instead of having to use something that you created yourself. So... Yeah, so I got this uh, Seratachi, no, Satechi keyboard that has access to three different three different um, Bluetooth devices. So I yeah. can use this for both Mac Minis that I have. I can, and it's actually kind of the same thing with this, though I I don't use it that way. Um, so yeah, it's it it's like I don't know if the M1 machines were kind of half baked before they came out. But there has been some interesting issues with them that I haven't really seen before with other Macs. And then throw in the fact that in order to use it like a dual monitor setup, it's a real kludge. You have to jump through hoops in order to get two monitors to work with an M1. And you, I shouldn't have to oh, buy... Oh, you, uh, you mean the air? No, talking <laughs> about the, the Mini. Oh, I've not had any problems with two monitors. Yeah, well, you either have to get a uh, a dongle... Or you have to give give up one of the two uh, oh, yeah. USB C yeah. Thunderbolt ports that you have. Yeah, and I've got a crap ton of mo- of um, external hard drives. So it was like, oh, so I got to buy this, and I got to buy this, and I got to buy this. And the only saving grace is the damn thing is so fast that I I almost I mean I it sounds like I'm complaining, but I, I really it doesn't bother me that much just because this this is like one of the fastest computers that I've ever used. <laughs> and it was, and it starts at six ninety nine. Yeah, from Apple. I must admit, I, I mean, I have complained before about the number of YouTube videos I've seen saying the problems with, and they're all the same problems. I mean, everyone, <laughs> everyone who makes a video says, "Oh, it's Bluetooth," and it's yeah. the fact that it's only got two two sockets on the back. And uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I, okay, I saw that as a problem before I bought it, but I've worked around it. And yeah, exactly. So it's did a I. design. It was a design, more of a design choice than a. Or or a limitation of the, the yeah. way they decided to build it. Than a, than a I, I think I think the the issue for me as far as ports go is that it was completely unnecessary because unlike the Air and the Pro, this actually had two USB C hmm. Thunderbolt four controllers, which those other strange, devices only had. A one. strange choice, admittedly. Yeah. yeah. So just you you basically you you take that that little drill that cut two USB C Thunderbolt four ports into the back. <laughs> of a Mac mini and you make it twice as big. So it cuts four instead. And then whatever internal connections that you need. I don't yeah, know why they have, did that. You would have thought so. Yeah. Cause, yeah. Cause each USB bus can support two ports, can't it? Yeah. Which is why if you, if you put, um, if you put a, a dock on it, you can effectively double the number of USB C ports by splitting. Yeah. Oh, so that's the M one Mac mini super. <laughs> yeah. M1 Mac Mini Super Pro Plus. That's right. Yes. <laughs> With added zing. Yeah. <laughs> Pro Plus Max. <laughs> oh, dear. No, I I don't think we're going to see another M1 Mac either. Uh, guy. All right. Yeah. I, I think... They'll wait till whatever the next chip is when it comes out. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that the um, 
I'm pretty sure that the IMAX when they come will be M1X or whatever. In Something, the, yeah. M1X, M1Z, M2, whatever. Yeah, but all things considered, and I know we're completely off topic here. Uh, all things that. considered, <laughs> yeah, the um, the the transition to Apple's own silicon, the M1 Max. In my mind, and, and I know it, I've been complaining about it a little bit here, but in my mind has, has been outstanding. When you consider the <laughs> transitions, seamless, that, hasn't it? yeah, because yeah. Apple Apple did the transition from the original 68K machines to PowerPC and then PowerPC to Intel. Uh, then if, actually you could also count the System 9 to OS 10 transition, you know, throw that in there as well. And this is kind of like both of those at the same time. Because Big Sur as an operating system is very different from what's come before it. And then you mm. throw in Rosetta 2, and then you throw in, well, it's a different chipset, and it's not even it's not even x86 based. And it's like, how did you guys make any of this work? And they just did. I think uh, I think the Rosetta 2 was probably the thing that hit it out of the ballpark, really. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it worked so well. And and the fact that well, except I mean, for can you remember any that, that can you remember talk about yeah can you remember any time in the past when we've actually had a, a, a translation layer that actually makes things go faster <laughs> yeah. no, that's just amazing isn't it that is you know amazing. i've got a um uh, my wife is going to inherit it uh, i've got a 2017 27 inch imac with a four core 4.2 or 4.3 gigahertz uh, i7 in it and this little mac mini runs circles around it mm. even using software that's intel based and it just it blows me away every single time i use this machine yeah yeah it's it's uh, we've not got we've back in the day we we did have machines that jumped this much in power um but not for an awfully long time no no more is spinning in his grave <laughs> yes, yes, I'm sure he is. It's, I mean, people people have said to me, you know, and not just on, you know, like in in real life, people saying, oh, you know, you've got a new M1 machine. What's it like? It's like it's amazing. It's brilliant. And yeah, I can't say that I experienced great difficulties in any of the previous transitions. You know, 68K PowerPC, um, you know, classic to OS 10. Which was Intel, more of a relief than anything else. Uh, you know, Intel. It all went pretty smoothly. I know there's always hiccups. There are always edge cases with yeah. people who have things yeah. that don't work. But, you know, I work in what I consider to be a moderately professional environment, you know, using things like Adobe. And so I never experienced any terrible issues. Um, I think that, I think one of the things that uh, struck really struck me, and I think I, I might have said this on last week's show, well, I watched a video of someone, and we've you know we've all seen the videos of people running benchmarks, and but there was I saw someone last week who actually ran a video, and he said, "Look, he said I've got the eight gig uh, Mac Mini." He said, um, "Now let me show you. I'm going to run this. I'm going to record this. I'm going to run this as well. I'm going to record it in a different program here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to edit this video. Okay, things are now starting to slow down a little bit. We're <laughs> never ever going to run all these things together. I'm just not yeah. not going to." It's not. uh, And and that was a real giveaway to me that, you know, absolutely. Yeah, my son son uses DaVinci uh, as an editor, video editor. And 
<clears throat> the first time he came over to the house after I bought this this M1, he asked me if I had any video footage, and I had like it was like an hour's worth of of the last MyMac podcast that Gaz and I had did. Mm-hmm. And he says, "Well, let me drop that on the timeline, and then let me duplicate that five times." And he just kept adding more and more tracks with this one hour video on it. And it wasn't until he got to like the fifteenth track and doing playback, and it was like, "Oh, it's starting to stutter." It's like, "Well, yeah, you got." <laughs> 15 friggin' tracks of, of, (laughs) you know, HD video all going at the same time. And this again, on a Mac mini, it's it's stunning. And yeah, I mean, I got, I got a bit annoyed at the weekend because I had to wait 57 seconds for it to render some video (sighs) that was 10 minutes long. (laughs) <laughs> I I wanted to hang myself by the time it was done. <laughs> I have things to do. Come on. That's 57 oh, seconds of my life that I'll never get back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now think back to the days when, when you wanted to burn a CD, you used to have to write it down on a separate external AV hard drive so that you could send <laughs> oh, it to your gosh. send it to your two times burner without it, you know, running out of buffer halfway through. So, you know, dear, oh dear. Never oh, I mind. could, I Never could mind. tell you some video editing horror stories from the system nine days. <laughs> oh, right. I said, never, never mind the, uh, never mind the, uh, having to get the volume just right to save the program. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Right. So there we go. Sorry well, folks. Yes, we're old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this, and based on how many things we have to talk about, this podcast will last about six hours. Yeah, quite likely. Well, we don't have to talk about all of them. That's, some of them are just um, talking about um, the performance as we have just been. Adobe has detailed the transition of its apps to Apple Silicon, emphasizing performance benefits, uh, <laughs> 9 to 5 Mac. And yeah. uh, Adobe says Photoshop on M1 runs 50% faster than on a 2019 Intel-based MacBook. So, yeah, uh, that, that sounds great until you realize they did it by re- by removing about 50% of the functionality. Okay, really? <laughs> really? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't work. Mm. That doesn't work on the M1 for Photoshop. And yes, they will change it. And, you know, it will it will get better. But the thing is, if you have... If you have people that use Photoshop for a living yeah, and Adobe comes out with this brand new version of Photoshop for the M1 in Big Sur and says, well, here you go. And then you find out that half the stuff that you do or whatever percentage it is you want to assign to it doesn't work. And their answer is to go back to using the Intel version for compatibility. It's like, that's not an answer. Why did you release this other than to say you've got something out there? Although having said that, I mean, some uh, when it comes to stuff like Photoshop, people will expect then they not only expect the core program to work, they expect all their plugins to work as well. Yeah, uh, and and that's part of the problem, isn't it? Is is that right. it's all very well saying uh, Adobe could release it and say, well, we've upgraded all the core functionality of it, um, and the responsibility for upgrading the add-ins isn't necessarily theirs. But no, this it's is, not this is the program. problem with programs that complicated. No, um, true, true. But yes, yeah, having but said this, that, but this is also some of the built-in stuff. And I please don't ask me to give an example because I can't. But that's that's what I had read is that there oh, was right, okay. that there were parts yeah. of Photoshop that is is like just built-in functionality. Not even talking about third-party plugins that is just not working yet. And right. Adobe's answer is to go and and use the Intel version through Rosetta 2 until right. they until they finish which i suppose isn't that hard to do is it but 
but you're right it's not it would be better if they just waited until <laughs> they updated it all wait until you can yeah. do it properly yeah definitely yeah. um and t- talking about um the m1 yeah they kind of felt they kind of fell through the ice there yeah <laughs> oh, oh <laughs> yeah i wasn't actually going to uh, do that one Nick, oh but, yeah. sorry i thought you were moving on to the next well I, I was going to jump over to the uh because it's about the m1 which is the ash eyes plan for uh linux on apple's new silicon shows cupertino has gone back to basics with ios booting um from the register uh, i don't really need to um get into this i don't even understand what that sentence means yeah well, i'm kind of reading that going huh? um yeah, it's a, it's a not a particularly long article, but um, Ashai Linux um, have published a progress report detailing its efforts to port uh, Linux to Apple Silicon, um, and then they, there's a link to their blog post, which is quite lengthy, um, which describes in extensive detail challenges faced by the project in understanding how Apple's homegrown proprietary chippery works on a fundamental level. Um, and if you're interested in in that sort of thing. It's quite a, a good read. Um, there's a lot of stuff about um, the Apple Silicon is not even a conventional ARM64, but a bespoke Apple mechanism. Um, and it says um, they've had to develop a bespoke bootloader uh, called M1N1 uh, because um, Apple have made all sorts of modifications to the, you know, the architecture um and i've not really put this in here because it's uh you know of interest to general listeners but if you are interested in um some of the stuff that is actually going on inside the m1 um their their lengthy blog post uh is quite a good read that tells you fairly technical stuff i admit but um it, it you know if you're interested in what the m1 is doing and how it differs from a standard uh you know arm 64 chip uh that's an interesting read but you've got to be fairly technical to be interested in it there we go um going back to the one which uh yeah guy tried to do a a slick segue to um man who fell through ice in summersworth was rescued thanks to his apple watch uh which is very good fabulous good story um feel good story my only thing about that is were you never taught as a young child not to skate on thin ice or even on ponds <laughs> in general did you never learn that one um we were taught as kids here in the uk do not skate on ponds because the middle the ice is thin and you will fall in and drown and you'll go under yeah, the ice always, and die horribly i kind of thought that this that the story was going to be about how the apple watch using its its you know how it it pushes the water out of itself as part of its <laughs> waterproof thing like booted the guy out of out of the out of the water <laughs> Pro- propelled him yeah yeah <laughs> like see, like one that, of those water jet packs. you want to sell me a new apple watch put that in there <laughs> well there you go um good luck you know lucky him but just don't don't be a fool and skate on dodgy ice really <laughs> in the first place but you know i'm glad glad to say that he's uh you know he's uh his, his Apple phone, Watch saved him. Yeah, his Apple Watch saved him. Uh, there we are. Um, Apple are now able to repair iPhone 12 Pro's cracked rear glass without replacing the entire device. Uh, well, which is good, I suppose. But um, still seems to involve basically taking your phone apart and having a, a rear case which contains about 85% of a, an iPhone and then sticking a few bits like the camera and the screen back on. So... Um, I guess it's so you might as well have a new one. <laughs> Almost. Well, I, you know, I kind of wonder if 
because you know, Apple has been making a lot of noise about repairability of, of some of their various devices. And just recently, you know, and for a long time, the whole push seemed to be, well, let's make it as near impossible for anyone to work on these things as we, as we can, you know, we'll include the entire system on a chip. It's basically, it's a small little green board that has a chip on it and it just does everything. But I think that the, the, Law, not so much lawsuits, but the, the, the questions that are being raised uh, by the EU and by various other governments on the repairability of devices in general. And Apple, I think, is, was caught kind of behind the eight ball on that. And that they may be trying to get back into, well, do we really need to have everything on a single board that can only be repaired by replacing the whole damn thing? Or can we do more component level or system level changes in the hardware so that, you know, you can just take out the power module. You can just take out the CPU. You can just take out these bits and pieces and then just give them back their original machine again. And the, um, you know, the, the big push for Apple for a long time was let's see how stupidly thin we can make a desktop machine with the iMac. You know, we want an iMac that can cut cheese. Okay. Well, there you go. You can just you yeah. know take line up your cheddar and, and get some cheese from your iMac. But I'm hoping that with, with Johnny Ives as, you know, brilliant of a designer as he was now being gone, that their focus will be more along the lines of functionality over, over fashion. I hope. Fat phones. We want fat phones. <laughs> uh, they, they don't have to be fat, but you know, yeah. if, if it's flat, if it's an eighth, if it's if it's an eighth of an inch thicker, and that means that they can repair it instead of just tossing it into a landfill, I'm okay Absolutely. with that. Yeah, 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 I agree. And I, I'm with you, guy. We've we've said it before. I never got the obsession with the phone and the iPad, where weight and portability are really important. You know, even with the laptops, I can understand that. But the desktop, why? Why? What? What have yeah. you achieved? You know, nothing. You've, you've made the sides down to three mil thick. Now you can't even put the ports on the side. Now the ports are on the yeah. back, where they're bloody impossible to get at. It's... Yeah. Well, and and why do you have to take a laptop to Boeing and to do wind tests? Why? You know, don't just give give us our thick, stupid laptops again, <laughs> so that we can change out the RAM or we can change out the storage or, or anything along those lines. Nobody cares about how thin they are. They care more about the weight than they do how thin it is. Yeah. Of course, without without this obsession with thinness, we probably wouldn't have the M1 now because, you know, this shrinking stuff down so that everything's all in one component, as it were, is, is what makes the M1 so fast. But but there we go. It's uh... <laughs> Yeah. I agree with you. I, 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 I've thought for a long time their obsession with thinness was uh, unnecessary. But, but there you go. Yeah. Um, I do like their thin laptops and things. There's no doubt about it. What they've made is very desirable. But uh, but I agree over the uh, the iMac. There was no reason for that to become. No. So, you know. Like, it wasn't even thin across, all the way across. It was thin-edged. Yeah. And then it got like, thicker in the middle. I mean, it just. That was just. If, even that looked, it looked really nice, but it was unnecessary. <laughs> yeah. I, I never got that at all. I didn't. I just thought, really, you could have made the, the edges could have been half an inch thick and it would have been no different. And then you could have put ports on the side or the bottom or whatever, you know. Yeah. 
There you are. Uh, never mind. That's. We'll see what happens by next. By the boy. We'll see well, what yeah, happens that's next. that's right. Um, you know, I mean, I fully expect, uh, and we've seen all the rumours, but it, to be honest, you don't have to be much of a, you know, predictor, do you, to say that it's quite likely that the um, the next iMac will have square edges and look like a, a giant iPad on a stand. <laughs> Yeah. It really yeah. doesn't. It really doesn't take much imagination to predict that. I'm afraid it really doesn't. Um, no, it doesn't. And I think they could be more inventive than that. In all honesty, hmm. I mean, it's not like we haven't seen good designs coming out of Microsoft because we have. Yeah. Some of the stuff they put out. I mean, I, re- I really like the look <clears> of the um, the uh, the Surface Pro when they when they brought it out, um, even though um, it was underpowered for for what they what it was at the time and. It still looked like a really lovely machine. Um, so, yeah, come on, Apple. Yeah. Be innovative again. Make something yeah. really interesting. Different. Without being uh, outrageous. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, moving on from that, we've got another Apple story. Um, for those of you who have a hankering for, you know, older and simpler times, um, if you want to buy an original Apple One, uh, you know, they'd set you back a cool $1.5 million. There you go. Oh, I'll have a couple. Yeah, well, exactly. One for the weekend. Um, <clears throat> really? I mean, yeah, well, that's a bit like the thing about art and NF, what was it? Yeah, NFTs and, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it depends on what people are prepared to pay, doesn't are it? Are you prepared to pay, you know, for, I mean, apparently this one is fully working and all the rest and it comes with the original monitor and all the rest of it. And so very lovely, but is it really worth 1.5 million? I suppose it is if you were desperate to have one. Well, how I else are you going to play Oregon Trail? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I could think of an awful lot of other things I could use 1.5 million for, in all well, honesty. <laughs> I was going to say, will, a, will an Apple One even play Oregon Trail? Surely you need an Apple Two for that. Anyway. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would have died of dysentery long before then. Yeah. Okay. Right. I'll tell you what. Um, what we do now is we're going to take a five-minute break while we go over to John Nemo in his hardware store, um, and then we'll come back and talk about a few more stories. So uh, over to you, John. We've gone outside behind the loading dock here at Nemo's Hardware Store because we are so excited about a new battery called the Nitro Charge, N-I-T-R-O-C-H-A-R-G-E. comes in two capacities, the 120 Pro and the 30 Pro. They're about to pop on Indiegogo, so follow the links at Nemo's Hardware Store for this week's episode here at Essential Apple to place your order, because soon the company will be offering them to the general public for a bit more than they are currently on the Indiegogo, the pre-launch campaign. The company is called Excitrus. What a great and exciting name. E-X-C-I-T-R-U-S. The Excitrus Nitro Charge 30 Pro is what we received here for review. Cost for the pre-launch is $59 in the U.S. for the 30 Pro, and it's $99 for the Jumbo 120 Pro. Typical shape, portable USB external batteries with a few differences. They have this really nice fabric cover, front and back, and then along the edges where the ports are, there's a power button on and off, and when you press that, it tells you how much battery power is in your unit. Mine says 100, because I just charged it up. It has a combo in-out USB-C charging and power delivery port, and then a generic flat USB port that you can use with any 
typical USB cable. So you can charge two devices at once and you can also put power into it while you are discharging it. Sounds more complicated than it is. It's very, very versatile for powering in and powering out. I've been using the USB to power my headphones, to power my iPad Pro, power just about everything else in my life. There is a plus sign on the top, right in the middle. They also provide special little magnets. And depending on where your other phone, whether it's Android or whatever type of phone you have, wherever it needs to charge, you can place them on it. I did not use that because I'm very happy using the regular charging to charge my phone and my headphones, like I said, and my iPad. So if you have a brand new phone, a 12 phone, you will love the Excitrus Nitro Charge Pro. And if you have a USB-C powered computer, like a brand new MacBook, the Air or the Pro or any any USB-C powered computer, you can go native USB-C to USB-C. It charges fast and it lets you know how much gas is still in the tank. So check out the specs, read some of the other pre-release early reviews, but this has jumped to the top of being my favorite portable USB powered, especially with the USB-C port and the on-off switch and that wonderful indicator and this lovely fabric cover. They've really put some design work into it. Well done, Excitrus. Please send us the big one so we can test it on some computers, some USB-C powered computers, and see how fast and how efficiently it charges up. So that's it for Nemo's Hardware Store this week. Back next week. Thank you, John. And as ever, all the links for that will be in the show notes. Okay, we're going to skip ahead to the security and privacy section for a little while. Um, We're not going to go into this in great depth, but um, those of you who listened... Uh, last week or the week before, when the Microsoft uh, Exchange server hack first happened, um, you might remember that I said it doesn't matter how many people patch and uh, update and do all the rest, there will always be some people who don't. And according to the BBC, 3,000 UK email servers still remain unsecured. So all I have to say about that is bloody told you so. Um <laughs> Yeah. There we are. Um, exchange servers first compromised by Chinese hackers hit with ransomware. That's on Ars Technica. Apparently, um, once the fact that uh, all these exchange servers had been compromised by the Chinese hack became uh, common knowledge, all the other uh, bad actors started piling in, looking for ones that were already compromised in order to bombard them with other uh, malwares. Crap. So they've been attacked with ransomware and all sorts of other nasties, uh, basically because they were already compromised. Um, And to go with that, the White House has warned organizations you have hours, not days, to fix vulnerabilities as Microsoft Exchange attacks increase uh, from CNN, uh, which is basically, yeah, (laughs) you know, criminal gangs and, um, you know, bad actors like Fancy Bear and all these other people are all basically just piling in on the fact that uh, poor old Microsoft Exchange has been compromised and people can't patch mm. fast enough. Um, and sadly, I mean, sadly, so, so many companies use Exchange. Um, well, you know, it's... That, the, that, that, you know, it's, it's almost everybody that's vulnerable. So. Yes, unfortunately so. Um, danger of monoculture there, of course, but... Um, yeah. yeah. Not... not um, you know, I'm I'm not really going to rag on Microsoft about this one. I don't 
I don't really know what to say uh, other than to repeat what um, what we said last week with, with the um, security researcher said, you know, this this uh, this breach, which apparently carried no direct malware, only opened a back door. Um, if somebody decides to weaponize it and bring the whole lot down, you know, we're going to have a very, very bad day. Well, yeah, people are piling in, not necessarily using the original hack, but taking advantage of the... Uh, the back door is open to pile in and start sticking in all sorts of other unpleasant malware. Being very naughty boys. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and the worst part about this is the, the patch is there to fix. And these are admins who are just not doing their jobs and not making sure that the software that everybody uses every mm. single day is is as patched as possibly can be patched and you know if this was like something new that had just came out and it was a vulnerability that and you know microsoft hadn't patched it okay i could see you know wagging a finger at microsoft and saying you should have fixed this but it's already fixed and if admins can't get up off their ass and fix it themselves then they're the ones at this point to blame not microsoft yeah and and one more thing damn you all for making me defend Microsoft. Yes. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, yes. And, you know, the I said it last week, and I'll say it again, the problem here is it doesn't matter what service you're using, whether you run a Microsoft Exchange server or not. You know, Exchange mail servers are everywhere. And however you send a message from, you know, me, whether it's to you, Guy, or to Nick, or you know, Nemo, somewhere along the chain, it probably passes through a Microsoft Exchange server. It just does. Yep. Um, Because, you know, all sorts of ISPs and the way stuff gets rooted around, that's how email works. There are going to be Exchange servers in the link somewhere. So everybody's basically exposed by this to some extent. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, any company worth its salt should have really sort of been getting it sorted out, as, as Guy said. Well, I, yeah. I, I remember... I remember um, when I was working, um, what, a couple of years ago, was it, when we had the, the they found the vulnerabilities in the CPU cores? Oh, yeah. Well, um, uh, oh, what were they? What was it? I can't remember what they were called, but um, I can remember going to meetings about, several meetings about those yeah, when they the, were trying to work out what the to ones do about, about um, I forget what they were called now, um, Scary Ghost and something else or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. They were to do with uh, there, the... There were, the Predictive forking of the... Um... That's right. That's right. That was the one. Yeah, but I remember having meetings about that. So, you know, if, if your company hasn't done it by now, well, then they're... They're screwed. Drag, dragging their feet, mm. <laughs> to put it mildly. There we go. Um, apparently, a bug on a popular iPhone app exposed thousands of call recordings, according to 9to5Mac. Um, PingSafe AI... Uh, yes, security researcher and founder of PingSafe AI... Anand Prakash discovered a flaw in the popular iPhone app Automatic Call Recorder, which allowed anyone to access call recordings from other users by knowing their phone number. Oops. Um, yes, that's not that's not so good. That's not good. Um, so there you go. Um, I don't know. Um, Probably the answer is don't use that the call recorder app. <laughs> well, on March the sixth, the developer uh, released a security update, but before it was fixed more than 130,000 audio recorders recordings were accessible by anyone 
whether anybody actually bothered to do so, of course, is a whole different matter. Yeah. Um, I can imagine people being very bored by what I talk about on the, on the yeah, phone. Yeah, really. Um, <laughs> the developer did not return several requests for comment by TechCrunch's team, but again, as of now, this bug is fixed. Um, all I have to say about that really is what I what I say all the time. Most of us are not exposed by that really because, and mm. if you are the sort of person who has high level secrets and whatnot, you should not be recording your phone conversations <laughs> using a cheap, you know, a cheap commonly available um, call recorder. You should be using something that's already, you know, security approved by your um, by your, you know, organisation. Preferably one that's proven to be hardened against uh, hackers. There we go. Um, well, my, mine have... is protected, but with Microsoft Exchange Service, so I'm good. Oh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. DuckDuckGo, uh, you know, my search engine of choice, um, have now introduced a private alternative to Google Maps called DuckDuckGo Maps, unsurprisingly. Um, I've got a link uh, from How to Geek about that. Um, basically, if you wish to you know, look at Google type maps without uh, Google knowing what you're looking up uh, or what <laughs> routes you're planning. You can now go to DuckDuckGo Maps. Um, I'm wondering whether just to get to get a hat, um, you know, with with printed on the front, Google knows where I am. <laughs> I'm sure they do. Don't ask me. Ask Google. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But there you go. If if you're you know if you're worried about that such things, uh, Duck Duck Go Maps is now live. Um, yeah. Courtesy of Duck Duck Go. Jolly good. Yeah. Hey yeah. Alexa, can you tell me where I am? I'm sorry, Dave. I can't <laughs> do that. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. And I've put this one in. This one is only really in here because we talked about it the other week. Uh, Linux Community Project aims to thwart dependency confusion attacks with easy code signing and verification um, from a huh. site I've never heard of called The Daily Swig. Um, uh, guy what does might... that sound like? Yeah, I know. Uh, but yeah, it sounds like a you know, it sounds like a cheap site for buying your booze, doesn't it? But anyway, um, <laughs> um, we talked about this the other week. Um, the the story was the other week that um a security researcher uh figured out that certain applications were using special packages linux packages hosted in their own secure repositories okay so i don't know let's say let's say twitter uh, this is not a thing but like, for example say twitter say they have certain packages for twitter on linux which are hosted in their secure repositories because they have special um, APIs or whatever. Um, Guy wondered what would happen if he placed identically named but uh, malicious packages in the public repository. And what he found was, oops, that uh, your, you know, your client on Linux would look for an update and it would prefer um, a newer uh, package in the public repository to the one in the private repository and thus download a malicious uh, package and install it. Um, so obviously uh, <laughs> the the Linux guys are, you know, basically scrambling to prevent that becoming a big thing. There you go. Uh, because he disclosed it. So there you go. Good to see that they're working on that. Um, mm -hmm. It was, it, yes, it was a, it was <laughs> a subtle but clever um 
you know, exploitation, which he'd figured out that uh, you could place malicious packages in the public repositories and uh, they would take those rather than the, you know, special ones. There we go. Oh, look. Yeah. It's, it's Oh, look, new shiny. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm glad that, that one. That is exactly it's, basically it's... What, he, what he was doing. He said, oh, you know, and he tested it and with obviously not actually malicious packages, but where yeah. he put a thing in yeah. saying, this is a malicious loan of code and saw if it turned up or not. Um, and he said he basically did it by saying, oh, you know, if if I look in the private repository and it says, you know, or the, the link of dependencies and there's one called, I don't know, you know, Twitter API v 1.4. If he uploaded one called exactly the same thing, but called it 1.5 to the public repository, your <laughs> your Linux distribution would say, oh, there's a new update and download it. So um, they're scrambling to fix that, obviously. There we go. Um, yeah, Apple should have something that has code signing and verification. Oh, wait. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So um, there we are. Um, I think that's probably about it for that. Um, moving on to technology. Um, this one was reported by uh, Sky News, which is... Cancer research, tiny pill cameras which can film tumours in the gut to be trialled by the NHS. Um, yes, now, sign, sign me up for that. Well, <laughs> right. Um, it says tiny cameras small enough to be swallowed and can film uh, tumours in the gut. Uh, put, called the pill cam, they are encased in a capsule that makes them easier to ingest and hopes they can replace more invasive methods of screening. Um, now, strictly speaking, this isn't new because my wife had to swallow a pill cam uh, several years ago. Um, oh, right. It, it's not new. Um, I, I guess... It I'd would... never heard of this before. No, but I, I remember watching something on a science program like Equinox or Tomorrow's World or whatever many years ago about this. Um, but it is now a thing because my wife had had to have one after they tried an endoscopy and a colonoscopy and barium meal. All, and all the copies. And all the other, yes. you know, and barium meal and a whole load of other things to try and determine what was wrong with her, you know, digestion. And um, none of those worked. So she had to take a pill cam. And what it does basically is it's a little tiny camera in a uh, like a clear, basically gelatin plastic. or gelatin. Um, yeah. It's in a it's a hard plastic capsule with the thing. In. <laughs> I I love this last sentence. It says the capsule camera allows doctors to look for early cases of bowel cancer without carrying out invasive and uncomfortable hospital procedures involving tubes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, um, we all know about those. <laughs> Um, I can assure you, uh, you know, uh, endoscopy is not particularly pleasant. And um, no, no. Uh, colonoscopy involves some uh, quite unpleasant things that you have to do beforehand. So let's not go into that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I think we should go into great detail. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, um, I, can, I can go into great detail if you like. Yeah, I've, tried, yeah. I've tried all of that. Um, so there we go. Um, so this isn't actually new, but it would appear that the NHS are now figuring out it might actually be more effective to get people to take swallow these pills, which are um, they take uh, a, it takes a picture every few seconds, I think, as it travels through your gut. And no, you it's, have... it's, it's a little it's a little circular thing with a little man inside it, and he drives. Yeah. And if he wants you to, if he wants you to, if he wants you to hear, he clamps onto your ear canal. 
so yeah. that you can actually hear him. That's it, yeah. Oh, you can't see, like, the little <laughs> tiny propellers as it is. I'm, it's I'm sorry, I'm confusing that with a film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and basically, you have a, you have a little um, recording box, which, you know, you wear on your belt for the time that the pill is inside you. And yeah. um, the pictures are transmitted to that. And then you either take the thing back to the hospital or send it back, depending. And uh, then they yeah, can they don't want the, the camera back. No. <laughs> They do not ask you to recover the camera. No, they don't. That is that is cool though, because it, it it yeah it saves as you as it says a, an uncomfortable uh, things having to be inserted in various orifices. in various places. And the other thing is, um, uh, the other thing is, if you um, you know, if you ever speak to your endoscopist, uh, you you will find that um, particularly colonoscopy is often fruitless. Um, yeah, it appears well. You know, fortunately, <laughs> you don't actually want them to find anything, do you, really? No, no, but it's, a, you know, uh, often colonoscopy, uh, you know, the results are inconclusive because, um, yes, yeah, you know, making sure the gut is clear enough for them to see what they want to look at is difficult and unpleasant. Um, so I can yeah. assure for you. For everyone involved. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So, as I say, this is not new, but it, it it seems like the NHS are considering that it might actually be a more effective way to, to investigate. And I can assure you, uh, it's a lot more pleasant than the uh, alternatives. So the there alternatives. we go. Yeah. Um, totally good. Yeah. As I say, not new, but uh, good to see. Um, also, uh, we have here uh, Glenn Fleischman um, on Twitter commented on the NFT story we covered the other. Uh, a week about the you know guy and his 8.3 megawatt hours or whatever it was burned in 10 seconds or something um oh yeah yeah that's right yeah okay um glenn has said in twitter and there's a thread i linked to the thread the calculation cited in this article is from a site which has made uh, estimates which are often ridiculous the blockchain does not use extra energy to make nfts miners run day and night however cryptocurrency is a horrible scourge for waste um, if you're interested in that. So might be that uh, the calculation of 8.3 megawatt hours in 10 seconds was uh, somewhat spurious. So maybe the artist in question can feel a little bit less gutted. <laughs> Calculating these sort of things is really hard. It I is. mean, you only have to you only have to look at the comparisons between for electric cars and, and fuel cars and there's so many things to take into account that it really isn't a simple, that one's cleaner, that one's dirtier. That no, one's, it's not. It, it's it, not. It, it just isn't because it, there's so much to take into account. Indeed. Um, and that, that's a similar sort of thing, really, isn't it? Yes. So there we go. So I'm just saying I'd point that out because uh, Glenn is saying that, uh, you know, the story we quoted is highly suspect on its calculations. So there we are. Fair enough. Um, now, this one, this one annoys me. This one annoys me, and I am going to possibly get a bit annoyed. Netflix password sharing apocalypse is nigh, according to The Week. Um, what they're saying is that, uh, you know, Netflix has taken an incredibly laissez-faire um, attitude to people sharing their passwords, and that now they are going to, uh, you know, have some kind of clampdown. Um, now, whilst I kind of understand that, in that... Um, Netflix are saying, oh, well, there are people watching, you know, who haven't paid, um, and that's costing us all this money. Um, I don't think that's actually true, right? Because you have to pay Netflix for the number of screens on which you are able to watch at any one time. Uh, 
That's true. Yep. Right. If I pay the top rate, which I do, for four screens, right, I am paying for four people to be able to watch Netflix using my account at any one time. Yep. So as far as I'm concerned, I don't care. If I share my password with Jim in Glasgow and Nick and use it at home, what difference does it make to Netflix? Because only four screens can be active at any one time. If you know, and they're if, all being paid for, yeah. And they're all paid for. If I'm if I'm watching Netflix and my daughter is watching Netflix and my son is watching Netflix and I don't know your cat, you know, and and and, <laughs> and Nick is watching Netflix. Right, and that's four screens, and then Jim tries to log in, he'll get told you can't log in because all four screens are being used. So to say that password sharing is a scourge is a, is a fib. It's nonsense. Yeah, right? that's true. Now really they're saying, oh, we're going to we're going to compare your IP or your address and, and you know, demand, oh, if you don't live at the address who pays the account, then you're not, you're not, um, you're not a valid user. Uh, excuse so me. So when you when when a member of your family goes to university, they're no longer a member of your family anymore. That's what they're well, saying. I'm I'm annoyed by this because I'm saying. Well, if... or, or what happened? Because there's there's a there's a mobile app as well. Or even mm. if you're going to watch, say you got a MacBook Air and you have to travel someplace and you get into your hotel, which is going to have a different IP address and everything yeah, else. Yeah. And you decide you want to watch something on Netflix. And Netflix says, well, no, you're no longer at your house, so you can't do that. Well, you know what? That's that's nonsense. So yeah. according to this, nothing much has happened until this week when some users started to notice a prompt by Netflix asking them to verify they were the account's authorized user. If you don't live with the owner of this account, the message scolds, you should have your own account to keep watching. Well, <laughs> I'm afraid, right? If I pay for four screens, I don't think it matters where in the world the people are. Yeah? Agreed. I'm paying for four screens at any one time. I don't see it matters whether it's in my house, my daughter's house, you know, Nick's house, or anybody else's house. You know, or my I'm house. Or your, your house. Account. You're paying for it, yeah. I'm paying for four people to be able to watch at any one time. Does it matter where they are in the world? I don't see that it does. So, Shouldn't. No. This is, this is a bit like one of these things where... You get unlimited data as long as you don't use more than four gig. You know, yeah. not not. It's no, the same. Then. It's the same argument again, though, isn't it? It's it's the it's the uh, oh, we're losing lots of money because people are cheating thing when then when they're not. They're not. But but it sounds like they could be. They're making it yeah. sound like that they're getting robbed, but they're not because no more than four people. You know, I have to pay for four screens. If I only paid for yeah. two screens, I'd pay half as much. But I pay for four screens, and as far as I'm concerned, if I pay for four screens, I don't care where who those I screens share. are. Don't matter. Yeah. No, mm. I'm paying, and as long as you know, I'm not doing some hack that allows eight people to watch because Netflix knows that if if there are four clients attached and somebody the fifth one tries yeah. to join, it says it's, you, it's a bit different. It's a bit different to others, isn't it? Because I mean, with other other systems, you you uh, uh, like um, um, <laughs> brain's gone dead. Amazon uh, Prime. Um, you could technically share that with anybody as long as you don't mind giving them yeah, the keys sure. to your Amazon account. That is true but, because um, because it's not limited. But, but not with Netflix. But no. Netflix is different. Right. If yeah. Amazon started saying we want to clamp down on people sharing their Amazon Prime password so people can, you know, fine. That would at least have some kind of validity. I just think this is cheek. I think this is an outright bloody cheat, to be honest, because they yeah, limit they limit you to what you pay for. 
So, so saying, you know, basically badgering my daughter because she doesn't live in the same house as me, saying you're using a different IP address. For the, for the, so what? Yeah, it doesn't matter. So what? And by the way, you know, well, you're going to start chiding me, Netflix, because my, you know, my IP address changes regularly because my VPN switches it every four hours or something. Uh, don't have to keep using Netflix. No, I don't. But I do like <laughs> I do like Netflix. I like the content. I'm just saying I think that's a, a bit of a cheek. Because, it is. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I mean. You know, if if they badger their users enough, then a lot of users are just going to, you know, here in the states, they'll just well, say, "Well, then we'll just we'll go to Hulu, state. or we'll, we'll or go, we'll go to some other service." You know, mm-hmm. I mean, sure. Well, partic- I mean, particularly when there's no logic to it. Yeah. No. You know, Amazon. I could understand. Amazon could do the thing where they say, you know, like with two-factor authentication, they could say, "Oh, uh, we we you know." We just want to check that you're the authorized user of this account, and we've sent a, you know, we've sent a code like they do when yeah. I log into Amazon Prime, and you know, when I log into, if I want to log in to buy something, every so often it will say, "Oh, we we need you to, you know, do a two-factor authentication." Mm-hmm. Well, that's fine, but when you're paying for the number of screens you can watch, I just find that an outright bloody cheat, to be honest. Yeah. Who I share it with is up to me. I'm paying. You know, I could give it to hundreds of people. Only four of them would be able to watch it once. So yeah, you wouldn't be able to get on your own TV set. <laughs> no, exactly. No, precisely. But there you are. Um, right. Uh, yeah, that one annoyed me. I'm annoyed by that. Vexed. I am vexed. We can tell. We can tell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there are, there are other services I pay for who I could understand saying don't share your password because it's technically yeah. not limited. There's no kind of limit on how you use it. So if you're sharing it with all and sundry, yeah, they, they could be losing money. But they're not losing money on this one. Mm-mm. There we go. Um, right, I'm going to do uh, one more. Um, this is an essential tip from Windrider uh, via the BTN. That's the British Tech Network. Um, this is about um, sound. Right, I did this today. I selected internal speakers from the drop-down list of opt-down options from the sound icon on my MacBook Pro menu bar. I then opened the Audio MIDI Setup app, selected AirPlay in the left column, and followed this by clicking on the gear wheel at the bottom of the app and chose Use This Device for Sound Output. Upon closing the Audio MIDI app, I found my HomePod Mini Stereo Pair was now the default sound output. This is not permanent. Um, You can create an aggregate device in Audio MIDI app, but choosing that in system preferences restricts you to a set volume level, which is not the case with my temporary method. So uh, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Um, I don't have a HomePod mini or stereo pair thereof, but I thought that was an interesting uh, discovery from Windrider. So I thought I'd put that out there as an essential tip. And it's in the show notes. You don't have to remember what I just said. It's fully written out in the uh, in the show notes. And the, just a snippet is scientists unlock the mysteries of the world's quote-unquote oldest computer, which is in fact the... Um, What's it called? Uh, I can, uh, antith- the abacus? No, the Antikythera mechanism, Ooh. which, um, if you look it up, uh, it, it's a, a bronze device that was recovered um, in a Roman-era shipwreck off Greece in 1901. Um, this hand-powered ancient Greek device is thought to have been used to predict eclipses and astronomical events. Only a third of the device actually survived, leaving researchers pondering how it worked and what it looked like. Okay. Um, 
Basically, uh, on Friday, a paper published in Scientific Reports revealed a new display of the gearing system showed its fine details and complex parts. Uh, basically, they've modelled it. Um, you know, they have modelled it to figure out how it works. Um, and this is a, a problem which has baffled people since 1901. So there you go. Very um, clever. Mm. Yep, linked to the BBC News. Uh, and it's, yeah, I guess in some ways it's a bit like an orrery. Um, you know those things? Where yeah, the... I wonder, yeah, I wonder whether it was something like that. But this apparently had, you know, you it's got dials on the front and um, that you can set, and then I guess it predicts, tells you when the next lunar eclipse and so on is. is. Um, but they have had to, you know, model um, how it worked because people... What, amaz- what amazes me is... What amazes me is it shows an incredibly sophisticated understanding of the way that the universe works. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, of 2,000 years ago. Yeah. Um, scientists from the University College of London believe they have finally cracked the puzzle using 3D computer mod- modelling. They've recreated the entire front panel and hope to build a full-scale replica of the replica of the Antithicera using modern materials. There we go. Ours is the first model conforming to all the physical evidence and matches descriptions in the scientific inscriptions engraved on the mechanism itself. Cool. Yeah. Yes, the mechanism was described as an astronomical calculator as well as the world's first analogue computer and made of bronze and includes dozens of gears. The back cover features a description of the cosmos, which shows the motion of the five planets known at the time the device was built. Only 82 fragments, amounting to a third of the device, survived, meaning scientists have had to piece together the full picture using X-ray data and ancient Greek mathematical methods. There you go. Oh, I thought that was a... That's just fascinating. Fascinating. And actually, when somebody actually builds one and shows what it does, that will be even more fascinating, because as I say... It will indeed. This is something that's been bothering people for over a hundred years. There we go. And that, I think, is probably enough, don't you? I think we've covered all the stories, so uh, we'll wrap it up. Okay, we'll start with Guy. Tell everybody where people can find all your stuff, Guy. Well, you can send me an email, Guy at MyMac.com. You can find me on the Twitters. I am. I have two accounts there, Mac Parrot <laughs> and Vert Shark. You can go to... Bum, bum. You can go to vertshark.com and see all of the latest audios and videos. You can go to the YouTubes and look up vertshark there and like, share, subscribe. And if you didn't see it the first time, and you probably didn't since this is just audio, like, share, subscribe. It's all you got to do. It is so very, very easy. Uh, along with, of course, the mighty, mighty mymac.com podcast that I do each week with Gaz for over 10 years now. Wow. There's also the Mac to the Future live cast that I do on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, probably when most people here are already in bed. And uh, on an infrequent basis, I do Guy's Daily Drive where I sit in my car, record myself speaking and broadcast that live because apparently I am a glutton for punishment. And uh, yeah, as as you said on the MyMac show this week, five weeks ago was the 550th show that you and Kaz had done together. (laughs) Yeah. And we'd forgotten. We actually had talked about it the week before. It's like, yeah, next week is going to be this. And uh, then, yeah, we completely forgot about it. We we usually have a countdown of about 16 weeks before you get there. (laughs) Well, after 10 years, you're kind of like, okay. 
You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like when you've been married for like over 25 years, you get kind of like blase about the anniversary <laughs> date. Yeah. It's, it's just like, another, oh, year. come on. Yeah. It, it's, it's the, it's the diamond anniversary. It's the gold anniversary. It's like, oh, uh, it's, you know, it's the same thing as what we did last, last year. So <laughs> <laughs> it's just another year. Yeah, yeah. But we have, a, we have a lot of fun doing that show. And, uh, I think, uh, I don't know about for gas, but for me, it's therapeutic. And God knows I could use a lot of therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we all enjoy listening to you. So thank you. Keep it up. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. Yep, very good. So here we go. Uh, Nick? Uh, Yeah, you can find me very occasionally on Twitter. uh, Spligosh, S-P-L-I-G-O-S-H. You occasionally hear me over on Bart Show. And if you want to see what videos I've been getting up to do with my church, then then that's in the show notes as well. Um, you can come and have a look if you're interested in that kind of thing. Jolly Nick, good. didn't I didn't I send you a Woody? Don't you have a Woody? I do have a Woody. Yeah, treasury. Yeah, I understand completely. I keep mine in the bathroom <laughs> behind glass, just in case. Yeah, I I, I, hap- I happened to look in Twitter uh, a little while ago because, as I said, I do very occasionally go on Twitter, uh, uh, and I saw an invite from you <laughs> from months ago. <laughs> I thought, oh, oh, got an invite for me to be on the show, and I missed it. <laughs> oh dear. Oh, well, anytime, you know, really, pretty much. Uh, any t- if if anybody has something to say, or or frankly, even if they don't have something to say, which, <laughs> that, that's Gaz and me each week. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. I, d- I don't show. have a lot. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Um. Well, you can find me in the Slack room along with Nick and Mac, Jim, and various other people. Um. Links to the Slack room in the show notes. If you want to join, just follow the link and you'll be instantly admitted to the uh, inner sanctum of the Essential Apple Slack room. Uh, you can find me on the Twitters as at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. Um, that's my personal Twitter. If you wish to follow the show, that's at Essential Apple. Unsurprisingly, uh, you can find most of our stuff over on EssentialApple.com. And uh, other than saying thanks for listening and thanks to all the people who support us in all the usual ways, such as retweeting us and badgering their friends until they give in and listen, uh, I think that's probably about it. Uh, We haven't had any reviews for over a year. Somebody send us a review, please, please. Um, And, of course, if you want to, uh, you know, send us feedback, we like that as well. So uh, I think we'll call that a show. So until next time, goodbye from me. Farewell. Bye. You've been listening to the Essential Apple Podcast. And I'd like to say if you enjoy the show and would like to support us, feel free to go over to the website essentialapple.com and you will find links to both Patreon and the Pinecast Tips Jar where you can make a donation towards the costs of the show uh, or even if you're really keen, you could set up a recurring payment. And thank you very, very much to all the people who already do support us. We really do appreciate you very much indeed. This show is, of course, part of the My Mac Podcasting Network, where you can find a variety of other shows like the My Mac Podcast with Guy and Gaz, the G-Men, Tech Fan with Tim and David, the Nintendo Club Podcast, the Geekiest Show Ever, the Three Geeky Ladies, uh... 
Bart Bouchot and his wonderful Let's Talk Apple, and possibly some more that I forgot. So why not go over to mymac.com, take a look at the available podcast, and take a listen. Hello, I'm Guy. And I'm Gaz, from the mymac.com podcast. And we're here to tell you about a very serious condition plaguing Mac users everywhere. It's known as BPSI, or Boring Podcast Sleep Induction. It can happen anytime, anywhere, while listening to dull podcasts and driving. You can prevent BPSI by subscribing to the MyMac.com podcast on iTunes. Our podcast is many things... <laughs> but never boring. Available without a doctor's prescription. The MyMac.com podcast is not responsible for loss of bodily functions while laughing. Side effects include blurred vision, nervous tics, trying not to smile, angry yelling when we say something wrong, and the inability to call our Skype number, which is 703-436-9501. Women trying to become pregnant should not be listening to the MyMac.com podcast, as it will take time away from having sex, which you normally need to do to become pregnant. So remember, listen to the MyMac.com podcast. Think of the children. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you next time.